The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I am sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way. A voice of one crying out in the desert, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight his paths. John the Baptist appeared in the desert, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. People of the whole Judean countryside and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they acknowledged their sins. John was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. He fed on locusts and wild honey, and this is what he proclaimed. One mightier than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop and loosen the tongs of his sandals. I have baptized you with water. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. The Gospel of the Lord. I am frequently called to the bedside of someone who is dying. And the first question that I will ask, because sometimes the person is too weak or may have some degree of dementia and is unable to go to confession, the first question I will ask them if they are in that condition is, are you sorry for your sins? Sometimes, if they are unable to speak, I will simply say, if you are Squeeze my hand. Because everything else follows from that. Absolutely everything does. Generally speaking, the teaching of the church is that at the moment of our death, we will be given one last chance to repent, whatever that death might be. Repent is the first commandment of the gospel. It's the first thing we hear from the gospel, the words repent. John the Baptist insists upon it as the only way to to prepare for the coming of the Messiah. Repentance of sins, the confession of sins. We're told that in today's gospel. They were acknowledging their sins. They weren't simply going out and saying, I repent. They were acknowledging the manner in which they needed repentance, as we must do, too. And we come upon John the Baptist once again at this time of year. 
this strange man. I've said often that if he were to come into our world, he would be rejected, laughed at, probably, uh, perhaps even removed from society and placed somewhere where he would be safe. I've mentioned several times over the years one of my favorite saints, who was sort of an image of St. John the Baptist, St. Nicholas Peregrinus, Nicholas the Wanderer, Nicholas the Pilgrim. He was that young, simple-minded man, according to Butler's Lives of the Saints, who came from Greece to Italy. He had one piece of clothing, a tunic that went down to below his knees. You remember he walked through Italy carrying a crucifix in one hand and shouting, Kyrie eleison, Lord have mercy. Notice he wasn't shouting, it's okay, everything's fine, God loves you. He was shouting, Lord have mercy. And the people knew what they needed to hear. Some people thought he was crazy, but most people didn't. In those days, they were more sophisticated than we are. They recognized prophets when they came amongst them. And so the people recognized John the Baptist. They hadn't had a prophet in 400 years. The people had said that the voice of God had been silent for 400 years. They'd been waiting. And now the one they'd been waiting for above all, all of a sudden appears. The new Elijah. Remember, Elijah was to come and announce the coming of the Messiah. He was the one who had been taken up to heaven in a chariot. They were waiting for him to come back. And John does. And he is the new Elijah. They know it, first of all, by the fact he'd been in the desert, in arid places. He'd led an ascetic life for five years, it would seem. He looked like Elijah. He was dressed like Elijah. He ate like Elijah. And so when he comes proclaiming repentance for the forgiveness of sins is the only way to prepare for the coming of the Messiah. They come. And we're told that people of the whole Judean countryside and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem are going out to him as they acknowledge their sins, the essential component for preparation. So there is John, who must announce someone other than himself. The new Elijah must prepare the way for another. And they don't know who that is. There's something we forget about John the Baptist, too. It's almost never mentioned. Uh, He was a priest. He was an Old Testament priest. Remember, the priesthood in the Old Testament was hereditary, passed down from father to son, since Moses and Aaron and Levi. And John the Baptist was the son of Zechariah, who was a priest. In fact, you remember, it was while Zechariah was performing his office of priesthood in the temple, that the archangel Gabriel appeared to him to announce the birth of John. So John was a priest. But we never see him functioning as an Old Testament priest in Scripture. I don't think he ever did. He behaved as, again, this strange man of the desert. I think he didn't because his job was to prepare the world for the coming of the priest, not the Old Testament priesthood, no hereditary priesthood, but that, that, that priesthood that comes only when God takes a human flesh and steps into the world. Our Lord has a new priesthood. He did not belong to a priestly tribe of Israel. He was from Judah. That's his origins, his human origins. And he is the priest in the sense who will destroy, or rather 
fulfill all Old Testament priesthood. And John's job is to point to him. Because he will offer up not bulls or goats or rams, not cereal offerings, not incense. He will not offer up something distinct from himself. He will be the priest and the sacrifice. He is the high priest. All priesthood now comes from him. You and I in our baptism share in that priesthood, and those who are ordained share in it in a unique way to make him present as an altar Christus, another Christ, as the apostles were the first ones to do. So he is the new priest, and it's John who must point to him, and he does, as the one who is to come after me. Does he fully understand who he is? No. But we do. And so repentance is the necessary quality for us here, too. I've often said that the liturgy of the Mass is always calling us to a recognition of sin and calling us to repentance, not in order to depress us, but to remind us of the beauty that we are meant to possess because of the grace God has given to us and the beauty that we often reject through sin. You know, I've mentioned it before. I'm going to mention it more specifically as I conclude this homily. At the very beginning, we had the confidio. We acknowledged our sins We even struck our breasts three times in recognition of it, and we asked the angels and saints and one another to pray for us. And then the priest said, May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us our sins, and bring us to everlasting life. So we began to enter in with just that act of repentance. I doubt we even think about it very much. We're so used to doing it, actually, aren't we? And so it goes on. But even then, we still have the the Kyrie. Three times we beg God for mercy. There's a reason for that, because we need it as we enter into this great mystery. And when that's finished, even then before the gospel, the church reminds us, but she she seems to remind the priest more than anybody else of his sinfulness and of his need for cleansing. She constantly is reminding the priest of that. Almost every single private prayer the priest says has something to do with sin and cleansing. Before the gospel, if the priest bows, um, he says, Almighty God, cleanse my heart and my lips. He's asking to be cleansed. Again, the church drives the point home to him. He is an altar Christus, but he cannot perfectly represent Jesus Christ. Nevertheless, he must continually try to become more perfect. And then when the gospel is finished, what does he say for all of us? Silently, through the words of the gospel, may our sins be wiped away. Again, we come back to repentance. Even after the gospel, we do that. In fact, particularly after the gospel. And then finally, during the preparation of the gifts... Twice, in silence. He begins the prayer when he bows humbly before the altar and says, With humble spirit and contrite heart, may Almighty... Again, with humble spirit and contrite heart. We're sorry for our sins. And then, the church isn't finished with him yet. He has to go and wash his hands and say, Wash me, O Lord, from my iniquities and cleanse me from my sins. He has to repent once again before entering into the Holy of Holies, which is the Eucharistic prayer. And then we do. We enter into the consecration. We enter into God coming to earth in his body and blood. We do it through repentance. And God continues to raise us up and to make us more beautiful as we do so. In the mind of Martin Luther, we were always being put down. Same thing with Calvin. We were just piles of dung covered with snow, as you remember. But not here with the church. We're being lifted up to a greater beauty. And so it goes on. But then after the Eucharistic prayer, we enter into the Our Father and we again ask Uh, for forgiveness. Forgiveness, once again. And then immediately after the Our Father, deliver us, O Lord, from every evil. 
And then we ask, you know, they changed some of these translations on me. Nicholas, would you bring me the sacramentary, please? After 31 years, I sometimes go back to the old translation. Um, I can say it when I'm saying Mass, but when I'm not saying Mass, somehow I just, you know how that is? That I, I've, I've said that. It's like when, when, when we're reciting the Creed together, we all recite the Creed very well. Try doing it alone. Uh, uh, it's not so easy. Deliver us, Lord, we pray, from every evil. Graciously grant peace in our days, so that by the help of your mercy we may be always free from sin. Again, we do it uh, before we enter in. First we do it as we enter into the Holy of Holies. Then we do it again as we're about to receive the Holy of Holies. In the prayer after that, Lord Jesus Christ, again, who said to your apostles, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Look not on our sins. Again, the idea, the need for repentance. And then, uh, immediately following that, into the Lamb of God, the obvious day. Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world three times. Have mercy on us, have mercy on us, grant us your peace. Three times we do that. Again. And still, but the church isn't finished with the priest yet either. There's more for, for him. There are two prayers that it can be said silent, that to be said silently. Um, these are the ones whose translations I always get confused. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, who by the will of the Father and the work of the Holy Spirit through your death gave life to the world, free me by this your most holy body and blood from all my sins and from every evil. Keep me always faithful to your commandments and never let me be parted from you. The church isn't into consolation when it comes to the priest. Uh, It's not just a pat on the back to tell me how wonderful I am. It's a reminder of my my own need for healing, and yours too. We all have it. And the second prayer is, may the receiving of your body and blood, Lord Jesus Christ, not bring me to judgment and condemnation, but through your loving mercy be for me protection in mind and body and a healing remedy. The church is still serious about this. Uh, Before we receive the Holy of Holies, before the priest does, um, he is always, like everyone else, in need of conversion, and because of what he does, the church focuses on him more than anybody else. Then together we say, once again, O Lord, I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof, but only say the word and my soul shall be healed. Healing. Well, that's done, except for one last reminder. As the priest cleanses the vessels, uh, there's a final thought. What, what has passed our lips is food, O Lord, and we possess in purity of heart but it's been given to us in time, may be our healing for eternity. We're not just receiving this again to make us feel good. We need the healing, too. This one I still remember because they didn't change the translation. Uh, but that's, and so throughout the liturgy, thank you, Nicholas, the church does that to us to bring us to repentance. And so today, for the moment, we, we enter into that repentance and into the Holy of Holies. And we become not piles of dung covered with snow, about creatures of beauty who have been lifted up by God into what we should always have been from the very beginning anyway. Let us pray. Almighty Father, we come together rejoicing in the coming of your Son and trusting in your love and mercy. For the church throughout the world, her members will always be people of repentance, conversion, and perfection, especially the church suffering. We pray to the Lord. Lord, For all nations of the world, that they may hear the church's call to repentance.
the church's call uh, to a new love and a new beauty, we pray to the Lord. Lord, For all those who are sick and suffering, for those who bear the cross of Christ in any way, that they may know that they are united to his sufferings for the forgiveness of sins. For those who are greatly tempted, for those who have left the faith, we pray to the Lord. Lord, For greater respect for human life, this month especially life in the womb, we pray to the Lord. Lord, For increase in vocations to priesthood and the consecrated life, those young men and women who will proclaim the message of repentance and the message of change and conversion. For greater reverence for the prophetic nature of marriage and the single life, we pray to the Lord. Lord for our bishop, priests, deacons, and seminarians, and for the American hierarchy, that having heard the message of conversion and become holy, they may then preach to others, we pray to the Lord. Lord for the souls of all the faithful departed, especially our relatives, friends, and benefactors, for all who have died in the battlefield, all victims of violence, terrorism, and natural disaster. Eternal rest grant unto them, O Lord. May they rest in peace. May their souls and the souls of all the faithful departed. And for all of us here, that our lives will reflect God's grace working in us, having responded to the call to repentance we may then continue to move into ever greater sanctity and ever greater grace. We pray to the Lord. Lord, We now join our prayers to those of the refuge of sinners as we sing. 